The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. So nice to get back. It's almost like I've uh, had a rejuvenation in my love of comedy again. She's coming home. For the first time in her stand-up career, Rebecca Reeds takes a stage in the town where she grew up. She plays the pie-eyed monk next week. And she joins us today to talk about stand-up in front of real people, not those on the other side of a Zoom screen. 100 Ben Kawartha Lakes has made some pretty significant contributions to local charities, and they're poised to make even bigger donations as their numbers inch towards their namesake of 100. Richard Gowder joins us to tell us why the fellas out there should join this group of 98, 99, and counting. Speaking of numbers, do you see the prices of houses lately? Ryan O'Neill of Ward's Lawyers will tell us what's involved in gifting cash to your offspring, looking to make that first home purchase possible. And with students back in school, what's one way to reintroduce them to some kind of normal? Well, spoons, of course. That's coming up later. My name is Denny Grignot, and this is The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. It's been a bit of a misnomer, but that's on the cusp of changing. 100 Men Kawartha Lakes is one of many such organizations of men across Canada. Here's what they do. They gather four times a year to hear short presentations from three local nonprofits or charities seeking a donation. The men then vote on who they feel made the most convincing presentation. Then each man donates $100 to that organization. Now, if you do the math, that's a huge pile of money for a local nonprofit or charity. But here's the thing. 100 men, Kawartha Lakes, has never really been literally 100 men. Its membership has slowly been climbing from when it started a few years back with about 70, 75. But now it is one shy of 100. Richard Gowder is a founding member of the local group, and I'm here with them now in his home in Lindsay. Uh, Richard, thanks for uh, inviting me into your house. Ah, welcome. Okay, before we get to the numbers thing, I want to know what drew you to starting this group in Kawartha Lakes in the first place. When we first started, when I first started the first one, I didn't realize how important it is to a community in that you can literally raise $10,000 in one hour um, with the help of your friends. Um, if you've got 100 friends, $100, that's $10,000, which is a big impact for the local charities. Plus, we saw how other charities, even if they weren't selected, they had an opportunity to present to big-hearted, community-minded men um, information about their organization. So it's, there's an educational component. Plus, um, you know, after a couple of years of the guys getting together, it becomes a real great group. You've got, who doesn't want to hang out with 100 big-hearted, community-minded guys. First couple of years, it takes to grow, and, and, and it goes through each each town or, or city or whatever. It goes through their own growth period and takes on their unique kind of flavor. For Kawartha Lakes, it's gone up, it's gone down, and recently it's gone up, and just the energy has been uh, electric. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't take away from existing um, groups like... Uh, Kiwanis or Rotary. Some of the members from those belong to ours as well. You know, they can do four hours a year. They can do $400 a year in order to put back. And where do you, where does your hundred bucks get turned into 10,000 in one hour? 
you mentioned that this is uh, unique compared to other organ. Every group has its own unique characteristics. Okay, so what makes Kawartha Lakes' group stand out versus the other ones that you were a part of and that you helped launch? There is a big slice of businesses, but also retired. Plus, because Kawartha Lakes is spread out, it's really cool in that we had a growth spurt from um, from Bob Cajun, um, from Fenland Falls, from so it's it's even though they're out of town, they come in. Um, we have met in Fenland Falls. We haven't met at Bob Cajun yet, um, but in the summer it'd be great. So it's unique in that it's a big area and we have people from all over coming in people get to know each other from the different areas it's it's really cool what's it been like for you to, to nudge these people to, to bring you to on the cusp of 100 um we found that if you try and push it um and it grows um you get sort of people that i don't know are there for the wrong reasons sort of thing they're there for business or whatnot but really if it grows if, if it starts with a small group of guys that really care about the community they know other big-hearted guys that care about the community, and it grows that way. We've all been on boards. We've well, A lot of the guys have been on boards or committees to raise money. This is an effortless way. This is not really an organization. This is a concept. We have no bank account. We have no anything. It's just a concept. We get together for one hour, and the guys write the check directly to the organization. Okay, here's my hardball question. Well, it's not completely hardball, but it's, it's quasi-hardball. It's it's money that goes to one organization. And I, I know there are other 100 men and women organizations that allow members to direct their $100 to the presenting charity of their choice. So why do you choose your practice of awarding all the money to one grand prize winner? Um, it's simple. The whole concept of this is simplicity. And once you comp- complicate it, I found that um, it's not as fun and it's a big chunk of coin. Now there was, I started another one in Oshawa and they went up to 135 members or something. And they were looking at maybe giving the runners up some money as well. The thing about this this organization is that the members make all the decision. There's no executive or whatnot because that's politics and we're not into that. There are no real rules um, that can change. Um, the only thing is that it's got to be simple. Well, let me ask you, as someone who has donated and written out those $100 checks, I'm going to guess you haven't had your selection every time picked out. So you're already shaking your head. So what's it like when knowing that I just wrote a $100 check to eh, my second place or my third place choice? Well, just the fact also that mine first or second didn't get uh, didn't get selected doesn't mean that I didn't necessarily go up to one of the other organizations that I did select and get involved or try and help them in in some other way. And there's magic that happens behind. Like we had a second place and the winner, I think it was a three meetings ago for the Humane Society and the women's shelter wasn't selected. But the um, the shelter, the person who runs the shelter went up to her and said, we have this program where we will take the animals of women that um, are coming into needing some assistance. We'll look after them. We'll find a home. We'll take care of them. They didn't know that. So you got them to network with each other. They got networked with each other. So there's a lot of magic. It doesn't matter that it's, you know, my mind didn't get selected. Okay, Richard, as of the recording of this time, you were at 99. There's somebody out there, some guy, some fella, 
who's maybe teetering going, oh, I wonder if I should or if I shouldn't, what would you tell that person in a quick one or two sentence pitch to join us? Imagine you're walking down a road and you see a sign that says, turn your hundred dollars into 10,000. And you go, oh, what's that? And you walk down the path and there's this guy outside of a door and, and you say, okay, what's, what's the catch? And he says, well, there's no real catch. Your hundred bucks turns into 10,000. But well, there is a catch. It, it, the money stays in the community. And then you make a decision, whether you go down the path or you go through the door. And it's at that point you make that decision. And if you go through the door, which many do, you're greeted with another 99 guys that you hang out with. And so that's sort of, you know you're 100 men if, if you're the type of guy that goes through that door. There's not a lot of downside to it. I'm Richard Gouder with the 100 men of Gortha Lakes, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Gortha Lakes. And since my conversation with Richard Gowder, 100 Men Kawartha Lakes is no longer a misnomer. The group has indeed reached that magic milestone of 100, but it certainly doesn't have to end there. So if you're a local fella who'd like to help bump up that number past 100, contact them via their Facebook page, 100 Men Kawartha Lakes. I grew up in uh, the city of Quartha Lakes and Lindsay, uh, went to school in Ottawa and decided to come back primarily because of the sense of community. Uh, there was an opportunity here for me to carve out some career while also maintaining a, a professional, personal relationship with my family and friends who I'm, I've grown close to. It was almost for me the next generation of connections with uh, some of the same uh, professionals and friends and family members that my father and mother had connected with uh, uh, when I was growing up. The ability to get in your car and within two minutes having infinite amounts of green space. Hi, my name's Alex McLeod and I'm with Ward's Lawyers. Proud sponsor of The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. The Advocate Podcast, like our parent, The Advocate Magazine, is 100% local media. In this month's edition of the magazine, Kirk Winter takes a look at the upcoming election, specifically the mayoral candidates, those confirmed and those potential. Pick up your copy all across Kawartha Lakes, including the librarian Bob Cajun and the country sampler Antiques in Oakwood. Coming up, a conversation with a super funny young woman who's coming home, for real this time, not through your computer, to perform for her hometown crowd of Lindsay. But first... Honestly, when you think, like, just if you take a minute to think about it, your teeth last longer than you do, man, okay? <laughs> think about that. If somebody found my skull a thousand years from now, they would look at it and be like, well, that was either a poor Canadian or a hockey player. <laughs> it's crazy. Like... <sighs> If you don't have money, you take care of your teeth like most people would take care of a car. Like your check engine light comes on and you're like, oh, I'm gonna deal with this in 16 paychecks. <laughs> yeah, just gonna drive these teeth into the ground. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> that is stand-up comedian and former IE Weldon Secondary School president, Rebecca Reeds from her CD, Buddy. You may remember my conversation with Rebecca way back in early 2021 when she kind of, sort of, performed for her hometown. And by kind of, I mean she was part of an online live Zoom show in support of the Kortha Lakes Food Source. Zoom shows were the only venue for We Stand Up Comedians for many of these long, pandemic-weary months. Honestly, I just avoided them. 
But Rebecca didn't. And in that show for the Food Source last year, you could tell she'd conquered the forum. She, she really was the bright light on the bill with a funny performance that did not look like a hostage video, but actually looked like a, a really great TV stand-up set. Well, that was then. This is now. And by now, I mean Friday, April 22, when Rebecca will be performing at the Pie-Eyed Monk as part of the JNT Comedy Tour. She joins me now, virtually, yes, from her home in Toronto. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for coming back on the program. Oh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm hoping we can all be honest now in in how we feel about <laughs> these uh, these online shows. Looking back now, how do you feel about online shows now that we're slowly crawling away from them? Okay, so I do still think they kind of have a place. Like, I think there are some, uh, like, accessibility issues that online shows do address. I think there's still room for them. Do I like doing them? No. <laughs> do I enjoy it? No, sometimes it's a bit of a slog. Um, the ones especially where you couldn't see anybody or hear anyone and you were just looking at yourself doing stand-up. Very weird. Um, you would always, I feel like I would have this moment afterwards where I'm like, as soon as the screen would go dark, I'm like, am I alive? Do I exist? What's yeah. happening here? Well, you it know what? such a strange feeling. I will say this though, Rebecca, and I mean this sincerely. My wife and I bought tickets, virtual tickets to watch that fundraising show you did for the food source uh, a little over a year ago. And we both thought you acquitted yourself extremely well because you didn't constantly say, uh, is the audience out there? Is anybody out there? You just, uh, <laughs> you were very, so maybe, maybe that's a lesson to be learned there is just kind of, you know, plow ahead and, and do the job. Uh, yes. Well, and we heard a lot about the adjustments that, you know, had to be made for going from in-person to virtual shows. It was the story of the day and that day lasted about two years. So what has this transition back to live shows been like for you? You know, getting those those muscles back in shape where you're on a stage performing in front of an audience. I saw the eyebrows raised there. So. so I honestly, part of it has just been so nice to get back. It's almost like I've uh, had a rejuvenation in my love of comedy again, where I just appreciate being in front of a real audience so much now. Every single time I step on stage, I kind of treasure it in a different way. Um, I got I out. Sorry, say... sorry to interrupt, but you said your love of it again. Are, are you saying that there was a moment during the pandemic, which is, <laughs> I think, the case with a lot of comedians? We, we didn't like it for a while. Yes, I think all the Zoom shows kind of were breaking us down a little bit, and then it felt like we were released, but then you couldn't get any momentum, so it felt like you couldn't get any um, new material rolling. So you were doing old stuff, but it didn't feel authentic to you because you felt like everybody felt like they were changing in the pandemic. So it just kind of felt like it was like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And now it feels like this is a real start where we've had several months going uninterrupted of stand up and uh, it feels good. The first couple shows back a little rusty, but feels good now. If we're gonna look at the glasses half full though, is, is there anything you learned doing virtual shows that you're able to adopt and employ now on stage? Like maybe a, a different muscle, a different skill? I think I am able to plow through so much easier now. If I had a bad show in front of me, I think I can handle it much better than before because there are still, I'm like, it's still not the worst. There are still people here. They are looking at me. I can see them. Let's go. Oh. Uh, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest. It gave uh, you some perspective. Yeah, absolutely. It gave me some huge perspective. 
Stand-ups are all about mining current events, what's on everybody's mind. The, they look to that for comic fodder, but the pandemic and everything about it, it's just been so much for, for so long. So as a, as a comic, where do you draw that line between delving into it and, and really mining it on stage and, and just ignoring it because you might think that the audience has just heard too much about it? I'm an ignore it person, for sure. Okay, I think when we step out for comedy, in my opinion, I'm here to just entertain you. And I think the most entertaining thing right now would be let's not talk about the news. Let's not talk about COVID. Let's talk about some silliness right now. Let's talk about some, I don't like I'm working on a bit right now about how I used to get my hair cut at home, stuff like that. Just some really light. Why not? Let's come in for a laugh now, not to knock anybody that is doing current stuff that can be very healing to hear um, jokes about your current situation or what we've all lived through the past years, because we have lived through it. Even if you do ignore it, we have lived through it. But I am definitely an ignore it comedian. I might make one or two in the, in the moment, you know, comments if there's something very present, but otherwise let's move on. Let's talk about something silly. You're sounding pretty optimistic and, and for a comic, hey, that stands out. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm just, honestly, I've been so happy just to be back, to be able to travel a little bit. I just got back from Moncton. I did the Hubcap Comedy Festival. It just seems like things are really rolling now and I'm having a really nice time just being silly on stage. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of audiences don't recognize that when, when comedians were performing virtually, of course, we didn't, the stand-ups did not have the audience in front of them. But the other thing that was lacking was you didn't have your peers. Like if you were doing virtual shows, you were in your home, the other comics were in their home. So, so what's that been like? Just being able to reconnect face-to-face -face in person with other comedians on a bill, much like the ones who are, you're going to be sharing the stage with at the Pie-Eyed Monk in a in a week or so oh it's been super fun uh just because i feel like that is a main part of my friend base i would say is and that's a big part of my social life is communicating with uh and hanging out with comedians before and after shows i mean it has also reminded me that we've all <laughs> definitely got a little kookier <laughs> over the pandemic you're now going to be home you're, you're not at your place mm -hmm. in toronto you're you're going to be on stage you're going to recognize a lot of faces in the audience i'm going to guess you've performed a couple of other times locally but this has got to be different so how, how are you going to manage all of that well it's funny you brought that up because i was i was honestly thinking about that the other day of uh Oh, am I going to be more stressed performing in front of people I know? And then I thought, oh, man, what if I show up and there's nobody I know? That would be worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I honestly, um, I think I've gotten to a stage in my career where I feel very comfortable with who I am on stage. I was um, talking to uh, a friend of mine uh, about, you know, they were doing a show and they didn't realize their boss was going to be there. And they were like, oh, my gosh, my boss is here. My boss is here. I can't do this, like, you know, explicit joke. And I need to do this explicit joke. And it's like I was kind of having a moment of like, well, you need you. You just have to be able to do that. Who you are on stage has to be presented to anybody at any moment. And that has to be OK with you. So I'm kind of at a moment in my career where I'm like, it doesn't really matter who's in the audience. It's not going to stress me out too much because this is who I am. This is how I present myself. These are my opinions. And yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm sure I'll feel more pressure on the night for sure. Like, Do you guys remember that short period of time where you found braces really attractive? Right? You were like, ooh, somebody's family has money. Get over here. <laughs> 
I want to make out with you. I bet it tastes like you have a pool. <laughs> my name is Rebecca Reeds, now living in Toronto and working as a stand-up comedian. But my hometown is Lindsay, and you are listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. <laughs> Stand-up comic Rebecca Reeds. I've seen her act many times. She is very, very funny. Rebecca Reeds is coming home to perform at the Pie-Eyed Monk on Friday, April 22nd as part of the JNT Comedy Tour, which includes Andrew Packer and Che Dorena. Doors open at 7.30 p.m. You can get your tickets at Eventbrite. you're a homeowner, bask in that for a moment, because buying your first house is no longer a foregone conclusion as you get settled into adulthood and a career. And it's not just the mega cities like Toronto and Vancouver where you'll find house prices so, so far out of reach for someone who is not at least even a bit of a millionaire. In Kawartha Lakes, the average price of a home has risen in lockstep with major markets, making it near impossible in many, maybe most, cases for people to purchase their first home, unless you get some help, usually from parents willing to gift money to their children needing a down payment that might just make those regular mortgage payments sustainable. But it's more than just mom and or dad writing a check to said offspring. There are legal implications to consider. Which is why we are seeking some words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. More than just words of wisdom, it's words. I am back at the Wards Lawyers' offices on Kent Street in Lindsay. I'm here with Ryan O'Neill. He specializes in family law. Nice to see you again, Ryan. Thank you for coming, Danny. Always my pleasure. When did you see this whole trend taking on steam of parents gifting money, just saying, here you go, here's a big whack of cash? with the specific purpose of the children purchasing a home? You know, the last two years, it seems to have increased exponentially. I, I believe um, the banks have tightened up their lending rules, and, um, and as we all know, housing prices have just skyrocketed. Uh, certainly anecdotally, from clients I hear, it, is, it seems to be much more difficult to, uh, to get a mortgage these days, uh, particularly for young people. They just don't seem to have the income level or the credit history that banks seem to now require. Okay, so how is this kind of gift where the parent says, here you go, a big whack of money, how is uh, that different than the parent saying, here's a big whack of money to pay off your education? If the gift of funds is used to purchase a home, uh, you then have a partner or spouse in that home and there's a breakdown in that relationship unless steps are taken there's real potential that the gift will be lost by lost I mean shared with uh, the partner or spouse that is now leaving the relationship so that's really what it comes down to is I'm not just giving you the money I'm giving it to you and your significant other so holding title simply just means who are the owners of the home, the registered owners of the home. So I'll give you an example, Denny. Um, my parents gift me $100,000. I spend that and buy a home. My wife is on title to that home as a registered owner with me. Our relationship breaks down. 
because A, she is on title to the property, B, it is would be considered a matrimonial home because we are married, in the event we were to separate, my now ex-wife would be equally entitled to that $100,000 gift. We're using terms like married and uh, uh, significant other. I just wonder for those people who are at home going, well, you know what, we're not really married. We, we never signed any paperwork to be married, but we've been together for five years. Is that they're out or are they pretty much on the same playing field as if they were, quote unquote, married and with, with, with paperwork? There certainly is a difference with respect to a common law couple and a married couple when it comes to what's called the matrimonial home. The matrimonial home has a unique place in family law. It doesn't matter who is on title or who is the owner of the home. A spouse is entitled to a one-half interest in that home period. Regardless of if they're married or not, just if they're common law or? No, no, they have to be married. Oh, okay. If they're common law, they don't have that bundle of rights. With married couples, a gift, so generally speaking, a gift is excluded in a matrimonial law equalization calculation, meaning when they're dividing up how funds or assets are to be divided between married spouses, A gift normally doesn't have to be divided. It gets pulled out of that equation. However, if the gift is used to purchase the matrimonial home, that exclusion is lost. So how would I avoid that then? If I'm the parent and and recognizing that these are difficult conversations you would have to have with your child. There is a way, Denny, and and it's through what's commonly called a prenup or a marriage contract it doesn't have to predate the marriage. It can be entered into at any time during the course of the relationship. I believe some parents will advise their children, you know, in order for me to make this gift, it's contingent or requires your spouse to sign some form of an agreement whereby they agree not to share in the gift. The beauty of involving a lawyer is that if the agreement is done properly, those legal requirements will be met. You know, the agreement will stand up to the rigors of a court challenge. Essentially, you're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. You involve a lawyer and you won't miss it. There, there's no room for misinterpretation or anything. Correct. You have to think of it this way, Danny, or the way I think of it anyways, is, you know, no one's giving up any other legal rights or remedies or entitlements. They're simply saying, this is a gift to my spouse. It is not a gift to me. Typically, people are just trying to protect the gift part of it, right? So, in again, if $100,000 is given, and at the time of the breakdown of the relationship, the property is worth a million dollars, you know, the first 100000 would come back, typically, to the child that has been gifted the funds. The remainder, then, typically would then be divided. Would you ever advise on how much that gift should be? We've been tossing out the number $100,000 here, and, and really, seven years ago, this would have been a different conversation. $100,000 would have been probably a 40 or 50% down payment. Completely leave that up to the parties. I, I guess the way I couch it with clients is you have to prepare yourself. If an agreement is not going to be in place, the amount you should be giving is the amount that you're comfortable with potentially losing. If you can live with that, then I guess that's the amount. How often does it happen where people are coming back to you and saying, remember the conditions we drew up on that gift? Well, we got to start acting on them. 
yeah, I don't have stats, um, but certainly anecdotally lots. It would come up at least once a month in just in my practice. For the people out there who, just to prepare for worst case scenarios, in those situations where people have come to you and said, Ryan, remember that agreement we drew up between myself and, and our son and our daughter-in-law or, or daughter and son-in-law? Well, there's a, there's a breakup now and now we have to act on it. What is that process generally like? Not as tense or as intense of an experience, I, generally speaking, Denny, because... Everything's laid out. Correct. You know, the, the purpose of the agreement really is to provide you with a roadmap. Here's what happens or here's what we do and where we go in the event there's a breakdown in the relationship. So that tends to bring peace of mind to people, I find, because generally speaking, it's the unknown that frightens people, frankly, more than, you know, the actual breakdown of the relationship. It, it's the unknown, the uncertainty beauty of the legal agreement is we're providing certainty at a very uncertain time. Ryan O'Neill is a lawyer who specializes in family law. You can contact him as part of the team at Ward's Lawyers, official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast. For all your legal needs, go to wardlegal.ca. A good friend to our program, Dunsford's Nathan Truax, he has a new album out. We'll be speaking with him and his partner, musical and life, Kayla Muhammad, in an upcoming episode. From that new album, Pickin' the Label, this is I Wanna Be Bad. My father raised me right when I was young. I never straddled the line between right and wrong. I'll always treat you right, I'll treat you fair Being a mean, crusty man won't get you nowhere Something deep down over the years Has took a hard right turn and these feelings appeared became so tired of the straight and clean so I grew up my hair and I changed my scene I wanna be Son, if you want blood, you better do it right before being judged on how you leave a man so wicked and mean. You better get to it quick while your traces are clean.
is true as could be You better lay out your plans To the nth degree Now I sit here thinking Where I went wrong And how all I got Was this fucking song I can't be Farmer's brand new album, Pickin' the Label, that is Nathan Truax with I Wanna Be Bad. Listen for my conversation with Nathan and Kayla Muhammad, also a solid musician in her own right, in an upcoming episode. That episode, like all our episodes, will be brought to you by our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. If you're looking for a lawyer, Carissa Ward and the team at Ward's, well, they have you covered. Find out what they can do for you at wardlegal.ca. There are many little things we are seeing that are hinting at a slow, cautious return to normal. Movies, live theater, restaurants, spoons. Yes, spoons. I.E. Weldon Secondary School students are once again figuratively and literally embracing spoons. This is a game wherein participating students donate two bucks each, and all the proceeds go to the Terry Fox Foundation. Now, the school has hosted this second semester competition since 2013, but it was suspended for a while because of you-know-what. So here's how the game is played. Students each get a spoon, which they have to keep on their person, and then they... Um, okay, I, I know it has something to do with a kind of game of tag combined with that game Survivor where the last young woman or man standing who is not tagged wins. We'll get to the rules in a minute via Ava Walker and Addison Coulter, two grade 11 students at Weldon whom I met outside the building earlier this week. Now this much I did understand. They were agreeing to meet with me and that was obviously a distraction from the game, thus leaving them both vulnerable to be tagged. So I started out by first asking them, how is your anxiety level right now? <laughs> during a break out here there's nobody surrounding us but how are you feeling right now it, it can get quite stressful when you're walking around especially when they have something called the purge where it doesn't matter even if you have your spoon and you're just looking over your shoulder wondering when it's going to happen when somebody's going to tag you right now is fine because as long as you have your spoon you can't be caught but there's always sort of the feeling that you've got to look out and make sure that nobody's coming after you Okay, you have to be holding your spoon in your hand, though, right? Yes. Okay, so explain the cursory rules to me. Ex explain it to me like I'm like I'm five, and that's not a stretch. The whole point of the game is as long as you have your spoon, and somebody will get your name, and you'll get somebody else's name. The whole point would be I would try and find this person. And do you actually have to physically be holding the spoon in your hand to to give you that? Uh, that immunity from being tagged? Yes, unless there's a purge, which happens probably once every two weeks. Okay, what's a purge? So the announcements will say there's a purge on for all Spoons players, which means even if you have your spoon on you, you can be caught. So it's basically just everyone can be out, so you got to hide and get off school property so that you can stay in the game. That would strike me as kind of pandemonium. That, yes. that There must just be a scurry of people in the halls running yes. in directions. and. What's that energy like? When 
Friday was the last purge, and I walked down in the hall, and I, my first instinct was put my head up, look down, walk to the bathroom, because it's one of the safe areas, and then I look to my right, and the kid's dashing out one of the classrooms, getting chased by two girls, and he just runs out the door, and it, it's full pandemonium. There's so once you're out the door, you're safe? Is that, is that, uh, off school property. You have to be, all, it's okay, so if I look here, we're still on the, on, on the front steps ostensibly. Uh, yes. Is this considered off property? No, you have to go probably across the road or down to the gas station. I've heard it's been mostly quite easy to tell, but I'm sure there's definitely different disagreements and whether somebody is actually out or not and if they have their spoon on them or say if they were hiding in their pocket, they quickly pull it out or different issues about that. But it's oh. all fairly lighthearted. Sure. Well, what's it like having to carry that spoon in your hand? I mean, I, I remember what it was like in high school a thousand years ago. I had books. I had a book bag and stuff. So It's sort of difficult, but as like the more people you get out, the more spoons you accumulate. And what do you do with the spoons? You just got to keep them on you. Keep one in every spot, like one in your locker, one in your pocket. Make sure you always have one close. Oh, so it can be any spoon at that point. You have an arsenal of spoons yes. that you can grab with. <laughs> you have done this before for a very short period when you were in grade nine. So what are you able to draw on from that experience that you can carry over now? Maybe something you did that you wouldn't do or, or vice versa. Back in grade nine, I was my strategy was more just not go for anybody and keep myself safe and always have my spoon. I found that later in the game, they start making challenges of you have to get somebody out. So earlier in the game, I now I'm trying to be more aggressive. I actually got my first person this morning. What did that feel like? It was quite an accomplishment. It <laughs> felt quite good. I can see you smiling behind yes. the mask. I, yeah, it felt pretty good to be able to get my first person out. Yes, and I helped Addy this morning distract so that he could go up behind his person and tag them. So you're working as a coalition now, yes. but that could change. I mean, if, as the numbers come down and you could end up with each other's number. Yes, that would, that would not be great for Addy. He'd have to watch his back. Okay. Well, conversely, what's it like when you have been tagged in the past? It's not the best feeling. Yeah. I got out last in grade nine in the purge when I was looking for my person. I remember hearing yelling behind me and I turn around and the kid's sprinting up behind me and I just tried to turn around and start running but I didn't have time. And you can see the spoon coming towards you. Personally, I wanted to get really hard into it so I've been given strategies of what I'd want to do and like on the bus or just before I come I have to make sure every morning that I have my spoon and sometimes when you can't find it your heart sinks and you're just so worried and stressed that you can't find your spoon. Yeah, it's obvious searching through my bag, just rummaging before every class because I can't find my spoon, and it's definitely stressful. You don't have to worry about it as long as you're off school property, but as soon as you walk in the door, you have to be ready. How much weight do you place on winning versus the actual, just the process of participating in it? How, how important is the, the end game? I do just like the process of playing because you get to meet new people and make new friends and meet people that you'd never get to just because of the situation that's at school. So Yeah, and especially for like the grade nines who haven't had a lot of, because of all the cohorting, they haven't gotten to meet everyone and the teachers are participating and there's custodians participating too. So it's really everyone in the school. And knowing who has you is almost better than knowing who you have. How do you find that out? You just got to talk to the right people. But they're not supposed to divulge that, are they? People talk. At the start of the game, you can usually get a suspicion of who will have you because you can see on your social media people following you, trying to see what you look like, and you can kind of get a sense of who the person is. 
right now at this time given everything you've gone through as students and as young people who had to deal with this and here we are outside we're still in masks how important is all of this in that slow inching back to when we didn't have to live through all of this I would say that it's really important and helpful, especially like just to get everyone talking again, like different grades and mixing classrooms, like just to meet new people and to like have more like school unity, I guess, instead of just being separate classes. It's very nice to be able to get back into the run of things that it was back in grade nine and get back into the process that it was just inch by inch. So it, it does feel good, just different things that make it feel more normal. Hi, I'm Madison Coulter, and I'm from Downieville. And I'm Ava Walker from Lindsay. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast. Stories from Cortha Lakes. Sometimes you find a glimmer of hope in a spoon. Good luck to those students at IE Weldon Secondary School in the return to that competition called Spoons. We love hearing from you, your opinions on the show, your suggestions, your story ideas. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and via lindsayadvocate.ca. Please subscribe to us on your favorite streaming platform. It's all free. And and please rate the show. That helps other people find us. Our theme music was written and performed by Gerald Van Haltren, who is also a great music teacher. Ward's Lawyers is our show's official sponsor, The Reason We Exist. For all your legal needs, contact them through wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignel asking you to please get boosted and mask up when when you, you feel it's necessary and and if you don't respect those who do we're back in 2 weeks <laughs>